Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome once again back to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff. And I'm sitting here with my co-host and best friend in the whole wide world, <laughs> Tom Dorian. Wow. That was very nice. Thank you. I guess I have to make you my best friend, too, now, huh? No, not necessarily. Oh, man. You know you are. I you appreciate are. that. I do appreciate that. I will yeah. say this. Uh, we need to get our... Who is our waitress today? I can have never you, keep up with at, who our waitress have is. Have you ever noticed they're different every week? I have noticed that. It's like I, they, they are clamoring to serve us, I think, because we're such good tippers and we're good looking. <laughs> that, that, that might have. <laughs> luckily, this is a radio show when no one can see. That's exactly right. Actually, our waitress is Katrina, and uh, she's doing a great job. Well, we need to call Katrina over here and get you a bowl full of rocks. A bowl full of rocks, all right. And why are we talking about rocks? I think I see a theme coming. <laughs> yeah. We're still talking about Peter. Peter. All right. That's right, Peter, which Petros, Petrus, Petra. Kepha, Cephas, all yeah. meaning rock. There you go. When last we spoke about Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, mm-hmm. and tied those to the story of Shebna and Eliakim back in Isaiah chapter uh, 22. Right. We're going to continue in that theme, and we're going to delve more into Scripture now and get some other reasons why the Catholic Church teaches that Peter was our first pope. Right. And so the place probably to do that is to look at, well, first of all, I think we should probably read that passage again just to get our folks back on board where we were uh, and what's going on uh, in Caesarea Philippi. It's a good idea. In chapter 16, verses, we'll go back to verses 13. Through 19. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So when Jesus asks his disciples, you know, who do you say that I am? Of course, it's Peter, the first amongst the apostles, Mm -hmm. steps forward and speaks for the entire group. Mm Mm-hmm. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus responds to Peter by changing his name. Right. So instead of Simon Barjona, which means Simon, son of John, Mm -hmm. you're now rock. I've got to interrupt you. I've got two quick questions. First is we we talked about in, in a previous show that the disciples or his apostles were standing around just in awe of what was taking place, it, they had to look at Jesus like, you just changed his name. What's up with that? They knew that this was an important moment, that something big was going on. That, okay, for them to, to know that, then that means there's some other place in Scripture where that must have taken place. 
And because they were good Jews and were familiar with Scripture, they realized that, you know, throughout Scripture, whenever some big quintessential moment in God's revelation takes place, God changes. There's a name change. The name, right, exactly. (laughs) That's what happened. You know, Abram gets changed to Abraham. Okay. Jacob gets changed to Israel. Saul gets changed to Paul. Right. And, of course, here, Simon gets changed to Peter or Kepha or Rock. So they knew something big was happening. Okay. Now, how do we know that something big was happening other than the name change? Mm-hmm. Now, we can look at other people who have made that same revelation, that same understanding of who Christ was. You know, Peter says, oh, I recognize you. You're the Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows who Jesus is. Well, he's not the only one who did. Mm-hmm. In fact, you go to John chapter 1, verses 49 through 51, we see Nathanael, who is talking to Jesus, and Jesus comes up to him and says, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael then says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So he makes that same revelation right. that Peter makes. Mm-hmm. However, Jesus doesn't change his name. Hmm. Well, Jesus says, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So he gives him a great gift. He tells Nathanael that he will see great things, but he doesn't change his name. And why? Because unlike Nathanael, Jesus obviously had big plans for Peter. He was going to be set apart and consecrated to Christ's church as the first servant of the servants of God, as the Pope. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, when Jesus called Peter Rock and changed his name... He was making the parallel connection to Abraham. We mentioned Abram got changed to Abraham. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Abraham was the patriarch of the Old Covenant. In Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 to 2, we read, Hearken to me, you who pursue deliverance, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were digged. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For when he was but one, I called him. And I blessed him and made him many. So Jesus is, again, using a parallel here where Abraham was the patriarch of the old covenant and he was the rock, as Isaiah calls him. Well, now Peter is the patriarch of the new covenant and he's the rock. So you see that connection. Yeah. And again, I'm sure those other apostles were standing by realizing and making these connections. They're connecting the dots. Yeah, and maybe not immediately, but soon afterwards. Yeah, what an awesome moment! I mean, they had to be just. Well, we wish wowed. that was. We wish that was, you know, on uh, DVD, and we could watch that over <laughs> yeah. and over again. That would be fascinating. That would. But the long and the short of it is that you know Jesus chose Peter, and he prayed that Peter's faith would strengthen his brethren, and of course, this is what we see that all the popes since Peter are still called to do. They pray for the people of God. They pray for the Church of God. And they are to strengthen them. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Mm -hmm. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus is telling Peter that he is going to be responsible for strengthening his brethren. Mm -hmm. And further, uh, in John chapter 21, verse 17, that wonderful story where Jesus gives the flock 
to Peter's care. And at the end he says, He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. And even today, our Holy Father is there to strengthen us, Mm -hmm. to pray for us, and to feed us, both spiritually and physically, with the Eucharist that comes from the church. So where we want to go now, I think, is we want to spend a little time talking about what I love to call some great coincidences. (laughs) You know, a lot of people will think, well, there's no coincidence when it comes to God. Everything is planned out. Everything, God knows what's going on. There's not just happenstance. It didn't just happen. Right. Well, we can debate that point all day long, but I, I'm kind of facetious when I say coincidences because I think we'll, what you'll see is at the end of this list of coincidences, you'll see a little bit of a pattern here. And what we're going to start with is the fact that Jesus actually preached from Peter's boat. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, When the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, a lot of people see this and go, well, that's not very significant, so he got in Peter's boat. That's great. That doesn't make Peter the Pope. But again, look at this from the point of view of the Catholic Church. Another traditional name of the church is the bark of St. Peter, the bark being the boat of St. Peter. And the inner part of the church, Hmm. where we sit as a congregation, that's called the nave. That comes from the same Latin root as in like navy and navigate, that we're a seafaring people. Really? And that we're on our way to, to see God. And that we're in Peter's boat and we're being led. So the fact that Jesus chose Peter's boat to preach from is significant. There, there are a lot of Catholics out there that don't even that don't get this. Well, that's what we're here for. Yeah, we're going to add some more stuff to that. that. This wow. is this is great. Well, before we do that, though, we're going to leave that as a cliffhanger. We do have a, a short break. Okay. And when we come back, we'll cover some more material, some more of these coincidences. Right. But before we do that, I just want to remind folks at home. In fact, Tom, tell us where we should go if we want to find out more information about this program. They should go to the Catholic. Cafe.com. The operative word there is the. That's right. We don't want to go to the dating service, which is CatholicCafe.com. <laughs> right, right. We want to go to thecatholiccafe.com. They're going to find this show and other shows archived there so that they can review it, listen a lot, to it. A lot it. of great links in case uh, they have some further questions that we don't answer. And also, we want folks to have the opportunity to ask questions. And to do that, you would want to email me directly at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So... We're going to come back in just one moment. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. When John Paul II died in April of 2005, the long-standing and traditional practice of filling the vacant chair of St. Peter was begun. After the Holy Father was confirmed to be deceased by the Cardinal Camerlengo, itself a traditional practice of calling the pontiff's name three times without a response, a death certificate was authorized and the papal apartments were sealed. Finally, 
the ring of the fisherman, the Pope's official ring, and his papal seal were broken. Then the Novem Dieles began. These nine days of mourning consisted of nine beautiful masses for John Paul II, one each day. The funeral was said to be attended by more than three million people of all different faiths from all over the world. After a few days, the super-secret conclave began with 115 voting members of the College of Cardinals in attendance. Each cardinal took a solemn oath before entering that he would not only follow the rules of the conclave, but that he would maintain absolute secrecy regarding all discussions and voting that occurred during and after the process. The penalty for violation of this trust of secrecy is automatic excommunication. The conclave opened with the invocation of the Holy Spirit upon the entire process. While in the conclave, tradition does not allow the cardinals any contact with the outside world. Not only are cell phones, newspapers, radio, and TV forbidden, but notes, letters, and even hand signals to passers-by. The cardinals were cut off from anything that might influence their vote. Anything, that is, except the Holy Spirit. The cardinals voted once on the afternoon of the first day, then twice in the morning of the second day, each time after discussion and prayerful reflection. The ballots for the failed election attempts were burned, and the black smoke that rose from the chimney over the Sistine Chapel indicated to a waiting world that a pope had not yet been selected. Finally, on April 19th, at around 6 o'clock in the evening, after a total of only four ballots, a new pope was selected. The cardinals had selected Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger. A chemical was added to the burning ballots to create white smoke, and the bells of St. Peter's Basilica rang to welcome the new pope. Upon Cardinal Ratzinger's election, the dean of the College of Cardinals asked him if he accepted the position and what name he would be called. Cardinal Ratzinger chose to serve as Benedict XVI, the 265th Catholic Pope. Finally, the proto-deacon of the college stepped out on the balcony of St. Peter's Basilica and announced to the world, Abemus Papa, we have a Pope. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. We're in the luxurious corner booth. I'm here with Tom. Hello. Hello, Tom. How are you doing? <laughs> Great. How are you? Tom, you look dazed. Do I look dazed? I'm sorry. It's probably that glazed donut I had. It was, it's, I'm um, getting sleepy. Yeah, Tom likes to eat over the breaks. <laughs> you know, he needs the energy for the next segment. That's exactly right. Well, so speaking of the next segment, here we are again. You were talking about coincidences. Uh, that That's would be right. easy for me to say. That's right. Coincidences that occur in Scripture about Peter. Right. And really what we're doing is we're showing, we're showing how that Scripture demonstrates that Peter is the first of the apostles and the primacy of Peter and where we get this understanding of Peter yeah, as our And Pope. I'm anxious for, you, for everybody to hear this because this is really good stuff. Well, we're going to start rattling off some scripture Do here. I don't Do know it. that you can turn the pages as fast as we can rattle them off, but we're going to go that way. So we just talked about Jesus preaching from Peter's boat. Mm-hmm. The angel at the tomb recognized Peter's primacy among the apostles. So the angel in Mark chapter 16 says, but go... Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. 
So he talks about Peter. Mm-hmm. He mentions Peter specifically. Then, of course, the men on the road to Emmaus pointed out the risen Jesus first appeared to Peter. They say in Luke chapter 24, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then, of course, this is an interesting one here. John was first to arrive at the empty tomb of Jesus. When they really? went, well, when they were told that someone has taken our Lord. That's right. He on was Easter the, he morning. Was the uh, disciple that took off running. That's right. So the fact that they were running, tradition tells us that John was a young man. Okay. And that Peter was actually an older man. Mm-hmm. And so John took off running. He's a young guy. He's going to outrun him. Exactly right. So obviously John gets there and goes into the tomb. Right? Wrong. Let's look at John chapter 20, verses 3 through 8. Peter then came out with the other disciple, and they went toward the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple, being John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. So he waited in deference to Peter to allow Peter to go in first. Now, again, this could be a coincidence. When taken alone, this particular scripture doesn't say anything in particular. Right. But looking at these as a body of scriptures, and there's way more to come. Mm -hmm. Peter headed the meeting, which elected Matthias. Remember that Judas was now gone. Right. His office needed to be filled. And so in Acts chapter 1, they have to uh, replace Judas, and they do so with Matthias. And it says at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse verse 15, it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the brethren. He's constantly standing up among the brethren. <laughs> and Scripture is pointing that out. Peter led the apostles in preaching on Pentecost. Note that the title, The Eleven, does not include Peter, who was their leader, because Matthias had already been chosen, Judas's successor. So it's Acts chapter 2, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. So... There you go, Peter and the eleven. It's not the twelve. It's always Peter and the eleven. And then Peter received the first converts in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Mm -hmm. Peter performed the first miracle after Pentecost. In Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 8, we hear about the lame man uh, that, that Peter heals. And of course, Peter is singled out as a healer on on so many occasions in the book of Acts. Uh, In fact, uh, if you recall, his shadow is respected, believe it or not. People line up in hopes that even his shadow might fall upon them so they might be healed. We read that in Acts chapter 5, verse 15. And then, of course, he healed Aeneas in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Mm-hmm. So the power of Christ being in Peter heals Aeneas. And of course, in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 40, the wonderful story of Peter raising Tabitha from the dead. So at some point, somebody's looking at this going, okay, not a coincidence. Well, we're, we're not even there yet. We have so much more to do. Peter was the one who inflicted the first church punishments on Ananias and Sapphira. If you remember, this was the tragic story of those two withholding their gifts. Right. Peter was the one that was over that process. And at the end of that process, judgment was laid down upon them. And both of those 
to Ananias and Sapphira fell dead for yep. withholding part of their gift from the church because they lied about that. And, of course, Peter admonishes an early heretic. We remember the story of uh, Simon Magnus or Simon the Magician mm-hmm. when Simon wants to buy the kingdom of God. And Peter says, you, your silver perish you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Of course, Peter received the revelation to admit the Gentiles into the church. In Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48, we read about Peter seeing this vision that tells him that the Gentiles should be members of Christ's church as well. Hmm. Of course, he got that revelation how many times? Three times, I think. That's right. He got that revelation three times because, uh, you know, maybe he was a little hard-headed. Yeah. No, not well, Peter. We've, we've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is in the church, and the Holy Spirit guides the church into all truth. Mm-hmm. And so Peter maybe took a few extra times to get that vision for it to make sense to him so that finally after three times the Holy Spirit would not let it go. Peter had to give in. And say, you know, I think it's a good thing that we allow the Gentiles to become part of our Christian family as well. And, of course, there's that interesting story with Paul going to visit Peter. He was going to settle a dispute, was he not? That's right. He had gone up to visit Peter, who he calls the chief apostle. And he again refers to him as rock, by the way. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 18 Paul says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Um, And now, interestingly, there's another scripture verse closely tied to that one in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It starts at verse 11, and it is actually quoted quite often as an idea that maybe Peter wasn't so important and that Paul even told him to his face. Right, now I've heard that. That scripture tells us, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now this is an important scripture for us to understand because it teaches us that the Catholic Church understands that these men were men, and if they were doing something wrong, there were ways that the Holy Spirit would speak to them and get them to work and act in a way so that when they made a final pronouncement, a promulgation, some kind of papal declaration, that it would be the truth. It would be the Holy Spirit speaking through them. And so if you had a problem with something that was going on in the church or you perceived a problem, who would you take that problem to? Take it to the man. You would take it to the guy where the on his desk it says the buck stops here. Yep. This verse actually speaks to Paul's respect of Peter and Peter being that first pope. And, of course, all through Scripture, Peter is the one that speaks for all the apostles. Someone asks a question, or Jesus asks a question, and then it says, and Peter said, or and Peter answered. Now, here's another important one. When the apostles are named in Scripture, Peter always heads the list. Um, And also, note that Judas is always last. So, in Matthew chapter 10, Hmm. also in uh, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts 1, The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, son of... And on and on and on. And then at the end, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Hmm. So we know why Judas is last. That's obvious. Right. So what does that tell us about Peter? Yeah, that's that's a good point. He's the opposite of Judas. He's very important. And that's why he's listed first in the list of the apostles. And, of course, sometimes only Peter's name is mentioned, but not the others. It'll say in Luke chapter 9, Now Peter and those who were with him 
or in Mark chapter 16, verses 6 through 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter. So Peter is singled out so many times in Scripture, whereas the other apostles are not done in the same way. It never says John and the other apostles. Right, and that's interesting because wasn't John uh, Jesus' favorite? Well, or that's what I've been told or heard. Well, I don't know about that. I okay. will say this. I will say that John referred to himself as the one Jesus loved or okay. the one whom he loved. I'm sure he And did. that's an interesting thing to note, by the way, because all in all, the name of Peter occurs around about 190 times in the New Testament. Wow. And that number equals more than all of the other apostles put together. Really? That number beats all of the other apostles put together which is about 130. So Peter alone is named 190 times, roughly. If you add up all of the other apostles together, they're 130. I wonder who the next closest one was. Well, I think it was the one that whom Jesus loved. If you okay. count the number of times it says the one whom Jesus loved, we know refers to John. Mm-hmm. And the word John, that's about 48 times. Okay. So that's the closest apostle to Peter. So you have to wonder... Is this truly coincidence, or is Scripture really trying to paint a picture for us? Each one of those Scriptures is a brushstroke. And when we get up close, we see an individual brushstroke. But when we step back, we see a picture. Mm -hmm. We see a picture of Peter as the Pope. We understand the papacy. And we also can then follow why the Catholic Church teaches that there is one who is our leader, our spiritual father, the father of the people of Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem, the church. That's the Pope. And at this time, that's Pope Benedict XVI. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff, Deacon Jeff. So, Tom, does that clear up any confusion you might have had? Oh, perfectly. Thank you so much. Well, <laughs> I'm glad I ran into you today. Yeah, well, luckily we were sitting here <laughs> at the Catholic Cafe eating pie. Think or of the donuts. odds. Think of the odds. Exactly right. Well, it was, it's been a wonderful adventure. Mm-hmm. And I hope that um, if there are any questions out there about who Peter was, what a Pope is, and what the Catholic Church teaches about that. I hope that people will will pick up their computers. Don't be bashful. <laughs> and write an email mm-hmm. to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. We'd love to discuss any other questions you might have. And we'd love taking this opportunity to, to basically preach what the Catholic Church teaches so that people out there understand, and it takes away some of the misunderstandings a lot of folks have about what the Church teaches. Yep. You're right. Well, that's what we're here to do. And now what we're going to do is we're going to close in prayer. Great. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a loving people fathered by a loving God. We thank you for all the blessings you've given us, especially the blessing of your son, Jesus Christ, who came to save us. We ask you to give us all of the graces we need to come to know you, to love you, and to live with you in eternity. We ask all this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.